Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. It is a good morning, especially because this is God's morning. This is the day the Lord has made, and we rejoice and we are glad in it. I welcome you to this service on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we are here to praise and to glorify. Whether you are physically present in the sanctuary or worshiping online makes no difference to Jesus because He's everywhere. And so let's be called together in worship as we read together responsively from the 24th Psalm. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sin to God. 
Merciful God, in your gracious presence, we confess the truth and sins of the world. O Lord Christ, is among us, we are a people divided against ourselves as we cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasures we pursue will waste the land and pollute the seas. The fears and jealousies that we harbor set neighbor against neighbor and nation against nation. We abuse your purpose of imagination and freedom, of intellect and reason, and have turned them into bonds of oppression. Lord, have mercy on us. Heal and forgive us. Set us to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love. In Jesus Christ. Amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. May the God of mercy strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keeps us in eternal life. Amen. Christ be with you. As the congregation shares personal greetings, children fifth grade and younger will meet their Sunday school leaders at the back of the sanctuary. Youth sixth grade and older will gather in the youth room. Please now greet each other. One of the things that everybody who's been in church for any period of time realizes is that when people come to worship, they always sit in exactly the same place. <laughs> and so we can use that fact by doing this. If you see that someone is not here today in their place, give them a call and check up on them. Don't start off with, God is going to condemn you because you did not come to church today. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to say, we missed you in church today. And hopefully when you are not in your chosen and now assigned seat next week or the week after, someone will call and check on you. What a novel idea. I just had that one. Isn't that brilliant? Absolutely magnificent. Let me share a little more with you. On Friday, February 3rd, not quite two weeks from now, we'll have a family movie night. Great chance to bring the kids or the grandkids or the great-grandkids or all of them. Everybody come and enjoy a movie here at the church. More information, as always, on the church website. On Tuesday, January 31st, a week from this Tuesday, the St. Olaf Choir will be here in concert. They are one of the best uh, college choirs in the whole world. You can buy your tickets online and enjoy the sublime music that they will bring to us. Monday evening, February 6th, we are starting a new Bible study. It will all be online, looking at the gospel according to John. If you are one of those folks who, when it gets dark, likes to just simply hunker in at home with your hot tea and your potato chips, you can still come to Bible study 
online. So think about signing up for that. Next Sunday, we will welcome as our guest preacher uh, the Reverend Dr. Ivan Rusin. Ivan is the president of the Evangelical Theological Seminary in Kiev, Ukraine. He and his wife are coming to the United States to speak at several churches around the country as well as a couple of conferences, and we are blessed to be able to welcome him here. Following this service, we'll have them hang around for a while to answer your questions and to be involved in conversation with you. So plan to spend a little bit of extra time uh, in church next Sunday. I want to welcome Nura Eid, a seminarian who we have had the privilege of knowing and supporting as a congregation for the last several years. Nura is originally from Syria, but now is studying in Atlanta. She tells me that there are some differences between Syria and Atlanta. If you'd like to visit with her about those following church, we would encourage you to do that. So good to have Nura in worship with with us today. Friends, one of the most important opportunities of your week happens every Sunday when you are invited to bring your offerings to the Lord. I'll be speaking a little bit more about that in the sermon, but let's think about this right now, that God gives you the chance to express your mastery over the money that might master you as you bring some of it to God and give it away. So in a spirit of generosity, in a spirit of hope and faithfulness, let us present our offerings to God by bringing them forward to the baskets here on either side or going online or in whatever way you can, creatively and faithfully giving to the Lord.
Please be seated. Friends, I know that God has touched us already this morning. God has rolled out the red carpet and invited us into the day. And the beauty that surrounds us reminds us of God's presence. And we have sung and prayed and confessed. And now we come to a time of prayer. So center your hearts. Let go of all the thoughts that you have about later, all the thoughts you have about earlier, and just be present here in this moment. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord of all creation, you who caused the sun to grow the earth and beckon us to lift our faces and smile into the sky. Your breath becomes the breeze that lifts our hair on a sultry day and provides refreshment for the laborer's brow. We thank you, God, for the good gifts of another day to bear witness to the riches that you so lavishly provide. And even as we're saying thank you, even in this gratitude, O oh God, we hear the stories and see the pictures of a fragile earth that is groaning and lashing out. The storms, Lord, the sea surges, the mighty winds and the deep white. And God, we hear the news and we see the images of fragile people that groan and lash out. The shootings, Lord, the contempt, the poisoned thinking, the hatred. And all we can do is say, hold us close. Hold your children close, we pray. We are in such need. And we know that it is your spirit of compassion that prompts concern and sends the rescuers. And we would ask that we might be among those who are sent. We know it's your spirit of desire for our best that provides the respite between the storms. Help us to be a respite for the storms of life for others. And it's your spirit of hope that will empower communities and people to build and flourish again. Help us, O oh God, to be builders. We are your anxious ones, Savior. We are your grieving ones. We are your confused and lost ones. We are your hungry beggars, starving for a meal and starving for deep connections. We are your children longing for peace, and we are your children warring with each other and with the land. We are all your children, oh God, brothers and sisters crying out for our mother's touch. And so touch us, Lord, and become a thumbprint on our soul that is both balm and burn, a fuel that moves us deeper into you and closer beside one another. Oh God, let us touch one another. Touch with the gentle stroke of a beloved friend, a caring neighbor, a mother, a father, a sister, or a brother. Let us touch with your divine goodwill and welcoming glance. Make us, oh God, with all our humble and broken parts, an instrument of your peace and an orchestra of your will. We pray these things, O oh God, generous God, as we lift up with one voice the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
A reading from the first letter to Timothy. Timothy. Of course, there is great gain in goodliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. As for those who are in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich, in good works, generous and ready to share thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Suhail, and thank you, Heidi. You have a different last name. This is our Heidi. She grew up in this church. You're usually in front of this big golden harp. I'm getting old, Juan. Yeah, there we are. Hey, folks, I don't know if you're like me, but I love to study culture. I love to study the human world. I love to know what seems to be going on and what might be coming up. And, and I also love especially to learn about what happened in the past. And so I'm always fascinated when archaeologists and historians discover some new place or some new thing in an old place that tells us a little bit about what people were like and what they did, the things that were important to them. I'm especially impressed when archaeologists maybe will find an old trash heap somewhere that might be hundreds or even thousands of years old and start digging through that and sifting through the things that are there that teach us about what was important to folks a long time ago or the tools that they used. I think one of the reasons I'm interested in that is because I grew up on the outskirts of a small town and my dad built our home right next to what had been one of the old dumps in our city. And so people were always coming into our larger backyard, sometimes into the backyard itself and digging stuff up because they were looking for treasures. It's a fascinating, fascinating thing to do. Archaeologists will find buttons and pottery and jewelry and tools and weapons and just about everything under the sun. And through those things, they can tell us a lot about how people were living, what they were making things from, what life was actually like. Now, I think there's probably a lot of money to be made today by going into people's homes today and unearthing all of the relics that exist in their garages. 
You could do that at my house. You could tell an awful lot about the last 60 years of history or so by unearthing the stuff that's in my garage, but you'd have to go through Helen to do that, so don't try. <laughs> the other day I was daydreaming a little bit about what an archaeologist might say about our culture and our society if they dug into an old post office. This actually happened in the movie, The Postman. It was a flop as a movie, but I, I love flops as movies. Kevin Costner was in it, and it was all about uh, you know, World War III and the end of civilization and the revitalization of the post office. But in one scene, he starts sifting through this old mail. What would happen if you sifted through our old mail? Now, no doubt you would find some overdue bills, right? You might find some Christmas cards that would have letters and pictures telling you about what had gone on in families' lives. But I think most of what an archaeologist would find in our mail from today would be things encouraging us to spend our money. I've never actually done this, but I'm tempted to weigh my mail for a while and I think I would find that at least 80% of the weight that appears in my post office is from people who want me to use them as their realtor, or people who want to install solar panels on my roof, or people who want to sell me something. Would you agree? Is that what populates your mailboxes today? Well, what would you say about us as a civilization, as a society, if so much of our mail is about money. Now, recently, my mail has been full of important stuff having to do with money, things that are important for my tax returns for last year, reports of my giving, reports of maybe where the future's going, reports of the, the retirement portfolio I have and all that stuff. That one's really easy to read through. There's very little information on it, right? You should soon be getting from this congregation, by the way, a report of your financial giving through the Village Church for 2022. If I were going to be snarky today, and I'm never snarky in the pulpit, Juan, but if I were going to be snarky, I would say that if you do not get such a report from us, you and I need to have a visit. <laughs> Why is money such an important topic in our society? Well, it's an important topic because it's part of life. Not just money per se, but everything having to do with the business of accumulating stuff and using stuff. It all has to do with wealth. It's an important topic, not just because we are so fixated on it, but because it is part of life. It's a necessary thing. We all have some money, we all want more money, we all spend money, money influences our lives in all kinds of ways. It is always a topic for the news. Today the Congress is trying to figure out what to do about the debt limit. It occurs to me Congress is always trying to figure out what to do about the debt limit and some of us are tempted to say the Congress always does the same thing. It just raises the debt limit. Why don't they just admit they're going to do that, right? We're concerned about other things that are more within our control, right? How much money we spend at the gas pump or how much money we spend on buying eggs, all those kinds of things. Well, money is simply a part of life. It's a big part of life. It's an important part of life. And because it's a part of life, it's important to God. The scriptures, by the way, speak way more about the business of money, the getting of money, the spending of money, the spiritual implications of money. The scriptures talk way more about money than they do about sexuality or a whole lot of other things that Christians tend to focus on these days. And so we're going to talk about money today. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying, I stayed away from church last fall during the stewardship season because I didn't want to hear the preacher talk about money. And I'm pulling a fast one on you here. Too bad, you're mine. If you get up and leave now, we'll know why it is. <laughs> 
It's vital that we speak about something that's important to God because if it's important to God, it's important to us. It was important, therefore, to the old pastor named Paul who was seeking to pass down some wisdom and some advice to a younger pastor named Timothy. Let's read that old advice because it could have been written yesterday to us. Paul starts in his conversation about money by talking about something that's not money. He says to Timothy, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. Contentment. How many of you would say that today in your life you are more rather than less content? Okay. How many of you would like to have more contentment in your life? I think I'll put up two hands on that one. <laughs> right? Contentment is something that we all seek after. We speak of it in lots of different ways. We want to have peace. We want to have maybe some quiet. We want to feel like things are under control. We want to feel okay with what's going on in our lives. That's what contentment is all about. Peace and joy. Some of us have more contentment, I suppose, but none of us have enough contentment. That's what Paul starts talking with Timothy about. He says there's great gain in, in godliness that is combined with contentment. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that one phrase, I think that Paul's going to start talking about getting your heart right with Jesus and learning how to forgive and accepting God's love for you and all kinds of other things, but Paul instantly goes somewhere that we don't expect him to go. The very next thing after he talks about contentment is money. And he says, we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. I love the scriptures because so often they get to the very root of things immediately. There's no dancing around the topic. Let's start with where everything starts. We start with nothing. We are born out of our mothers with nothing except an appetite. <laughs> that appetite says something to us. It says that we need something. It's okay to need things. The existence of things and the need for money that's related to that is an okay thing with God. This preacher is not against money. God is not against money. If you think about the process of life, it's all about the process of beginning to seek out and to accumulate and to use things. At the first service, I said that new parents will stockpile several hundred new diapers anticipating a baby. I was told that estimate is way low these days. What else do new parents do? They start collecting clothes, toys, maybe redecorate a room to turn it into a nursery and dad no longer gets to have his man den. Who knows what? Babies require a lot of stuff. They require, by the way, a lot of money. Heidi, I'm sorry, I'll pick on you today. You were very expensive to raise, okay? Yeah, yeah, totally. All kids are, all kids are. We all are expensive to raise. And so the process of life is a process of accumulating stuff. But then at some point, we find that we have to deaccumulate. We came into this world bringing nothing, and we leave from this world taking nothing with us, only leaving it behind. I'm thankful for the things that we have in this world, the things that are provided, right? I'm thankful that you have enough money to eat a breakfast this morning. Not everybody has that. I'm thankful that you have enough money to have a roof over your heads. Not everybody has that. I'm especially thankful that even though you came into the world with nothing, you have had enough now to buy some clothes to come to church with. Think about that. It's a good thing to have some things. So Paul acknowledges that we need things, we have things, we need things in this life. But then he goes on to say, but those who want to be rich... 
fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Does everybody agree that we want to be content? Can everybody agree that we do not want to be trapped? We do not want to be controlled. We do not want to have lives that are senseless and harmful. We do not want to be plunged into ruin and destruction. This passage is nothing if it is not clear and direct about the spiritual dynamics at play in the business of accumulating and spending. If we're not careful, the accumulation and spending of stuff, which is represented for us in the shorthand of money, can lead us into senseless, harmful, trapped, controlled, ruined, and destroyed lives. It's that simple, and it's that serious. Therefore, we should talk about it every once in a while. Now, immediately, we should be asking ourselves the question, if money is such a challenge to us, is there any way that we can escape the temptation? Is there any way that we can evade this ruin and destruction that might come into our lives? And we especially, we in 21st century North County, Rancho Santa Fe, should be asking that question. Now, I know all of you are going to say, I don't have as much money as you think I do. And all of you are going to say, I don't live in Rancho Santa Fe. I live in Fairbanks. <laughs> or you're going to say something. <laughs> See, I've been here long enough to know you so well, you cannot escape. <laughs> right? Let's simply admit Let's admit what we have. Paul says, as for those who in the present age are rich, and he's talking about us. Now, I realize you might have just lost everything. You might be leveraged to the hilt, whatever. The vast majority of us have a vast amount more than the rest of the world. And even in the first century church, there were some who were rich, and that was okay. In fact, it was a good thing. Who do you think supported Jesus and the 12 disciples and then all the other folks that were around them as they went around traveling and teaching and all? They weren't making any money. They were all young men. They ate an incredible amount, I'm sure. There were some rich Christians, rich followers of Jesus who supported that ministry. The fact that someone has wealth is not the question. It is the question of what you do with your wealth. And so Paul wants to talk about that. He wants to tell us that there is hope for us. He moves next to a phrase that has become sort of a catchphrase in our Western civilization. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, people often misquote that phrase, and when they do that, they completely reverse its meaning. Lots of people say to me all the time, especially when they find out where I'm a pastor, they say, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Why? Are we called to love things? I'll ask you two questions. Who do you love? And what do you love? If you love a what, then you're wrong. You're misguided. You are to be pitied. And you are to be corrected in love because we do not love what's. We love who. And the who we are called to love is God. 
Paul goes on to explain what that's about. He says to Timothy, giving him pastoral advice, command them not to set their hopes on riches, but to set their hopes on God. What you love is where you're going to spend your time, your energy, your attention. And so if you love a what, that's all you're going to get. You need to love a who, and the who you need to love is the who who loved you from the very beginning of all creation. The who who loved you and made you to be his precious, beautiful child. We set our hopes on God, not on things. And it was so serious to Paul, it should be so serious an issue to us, that Paul says to Timothy, command them. Now, I have to tell you that in seminary, maybe it's different, Nora, but in seminary, they never told me that I could stand in front of the congregation and command something. They would say, you know, you need to be winsome and engaging and funny and welcoming and inviting and bring people along and treat them with kid gloves. But you know what? That's not what the Bible does. That's not what Paul does. That's not what Jesus does. This is such an important question to the health of your soul that Paul says it flat out. Command. Get people's attention. Tell them how important and how serious this business of money is all about. And then, thankfully, Paul gives us some things that we can do some things that we can do. We who have so much money, things that we can do to make sure that it does not become our God. And they're simple things, things that you can do, things that you do, actually. Paul says, command these folks to understand that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, Command them to pay attention and then command them to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share, to spend your money and yourself for the sake of others. Earlier in worship when I said that the offering was a golden opportunity and one that we give ourselves every week, what I meant is that every week, at least once a week, we need to be reminded of who is God and who is not. And if we take some of that precious money that we have or some of our precious time or some of our precious energy or some of our precious abilities and skills and talents, if we take some of that and let it go, we demonstrate to God and maybe more importantly, we demonstrate to ourselves that that's not our God, that that doesn't control us, that we are willing to give something away. That's why the offering is so important. And then notice the result of all of this Paul says, we will store up for ourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Most of us think of storing up treasure as collecting up all of our gold and hiding it somewhere, collecting all of our stocks and putting them somewhere where they're safe, collecting all of our resources and investing it in Bitcoin. Wait, no, that doesn't work so well. <laughs> Paul wants you to have a big bank account of love of mercy, of justice, of forgiveness, of serving others. That's what we want to store up. And the only way you store it up is by giving it away so that we can take hold of the life that really is life. Let me read a story for you. During the waning years of the Depression in a small southeastern Idaho community, I used to stop by Mr. Miller's roadside stand for farm-fresh produce. Food and money were still extremely scarce, and bartering was used extensively. One particular day, Mr. Miller was bagging some early potatoes for me. I noticed a small boy, delicate of bone and feature, ragged but clean, hungrily apprising a basket of freshly picked green peas. I paid for my potatoes, but was also drawn to the display of fresh green peas. I'm a pushover for creamed peas and new potatoes. 
Pondering the peas, I couldn't help overhearing the conversation between Mr. Miller and the ragged boy next to me. Hello, Barry. How are you today? Hello, Mr. Miller. Fine, thank you. Just admiring them peas. Sure look good. They are good, Barry. How's your ma? Fine. Getting stronger all the time. Good. Anything I can help you with? No, sir. Just admiring them peas. Would you like to take some home? No, sir. Got nothing to pay for them with. Well, what have you to trade me for some of those peas? All I got is my prize marble here. Is that right? Let me see it. Here it is. She's a dandy. I can see that, Mr. Miller said. Only thing is, this one is blue, and I sort of go for red. Do you have a red one like this at home? Not exactly, but, but almost. Tell you what. Take this sack of peas home with you, and next trip this way, let me look at that red marble. Sure will. Thanks, Mr. Miller. Mrs. Miller, who had been standing nearby, came over to help me. With a smile, she said, there are two other boys like him in our community, all three in very poor circumstances. Jim just loves to bargain with them for peas or apples or tomatoes or whatever. When they come back with their red marbles, and they always do, he decides he doesn't like red after all, and he sends them home with a bag of produce for a green marble or an orange one, perhaps. I left the stand smiling to myself, impressed with this man. A short time later, I moved to Colorado, but I never forgot the story of this man and the boys and their bartering. Years went by, each more rapid than the previous one, and just recently I had occasion to visit some old friends in that Idaho community, and while I was there, learned that Mr. Miller had died. They were having his viewing that evening, and knowing my friends wanted to go, I agreed to accompany them. Upon our arrival at the mortuary, we fell in line to meet the relatives of the deceased and to offer whatever words of comfort we could. Ahead of us, in line, were three young men. One was in an army uniform, and the other two wore nice haircuts and dark suits and white shirts, very professional-looking. They approached Mrs. Miller, standing by her husband's casket, each of the young men hugged her, kissed her on the cheek, spoke briefly with her, and then moved on to the casket. Her eyes followed them as one by one each young man stopped briefly and placed his own warm hand over the pale, cold hand in the casket. Each left the mortuary, awkwardly wiping his eyes. Our turn came to greet Mrs. Miller, and I told her who I was and mentioned the story she had told me about the marbles. Eyes glistening, she took my hand and led me to the casket. Those three young men who just left were the boys I told you about. They just told me how they appreciated the things Jim traded with them. Now, at last, when Jim could not change his mind about their color or size, they came to pay their debt. We've never had a great deal of the wealth of this world, she confided, but right now, Jim would consider himself the richest man in Idaho. With loving gentleness, she lifted the lifeless fingers of her deceased husband, and resting underneath were three exquisitely shined red marbles. What has God given to you what has God allowed you to earn? What has God blessed you with through no effort of your own or maybe through much effort? Peas, potatoes, a skill, a talent, inherited money, earned money, wisdom, energy, time. What wealth do you have to spend for others? Let Jesus show you how to spend well. Amen. Please stand and join me as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father of God. From here shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I have here in my pocket three red marbles. They're not mine, but they are a reminder 
of the treasure that we build up in heaven and on earth, the treasure of love that we share for others as we use our resources, not just to bless ourselves, but to bless others. I hope that at the end of your life, you've got some marbles, and I hope you've already got some there in your bank account. You're the only one who can answer that question, though. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Let God's people say together, Amen. Amen.